Well, good morning, everyone. Trust that you're well today and strong in your spirit. Your faith is up in God's Word. Today, we're going to continue on in a series of messages that we've been looking at over these last past few weeks, Faith for a Great Future. And last week, we were looking at James chapter 1, verse 5, and we were considering how James gives us this wonderful invitation into God's wisdom. When we go through trying times and difficulties, when we go through hardships in life, we are never alone. We are never left alone. God wants to be involved. God wants to be right at the center of any circumstance or any difficulty that we face. James in verse 5 just tells us to um, access God's wisdom by simply Asking, listen to James chapter 1 verse 5 again as we get into this this morning. And I'm just going to read it from the New Living Translation. I really like the way that it puts it. It says this, if any of you need wisdom or if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Listen, if you're going through a difficult time, and life sometimes is like a steeplechase, it's like this huge obstacle course from, you know, one week to the next, from one month to the next month sometimes. These trials and troubles that we go through can be prolonged, but do you know what? If we are going through a difficult time, James says, listen, why don't you ask Our generous God who gives wisdom, who gives it liberally, who gives it abundantly. That tells me that God has an unconditional love for us. He really does. He wants to be involved. We don't serve a God who is aloof or removed or distant or apart or too busy doing other things. No, God really is at the heart of every need, at the heart of every issue, or he wants to be. And we just have to simply ask for his involvement. One of the things that we said last week about this little word ask is like, is that it's like a bridging word from our lack, from our impoverishment, from our need into God's abundance. And you know what? I hope this week you've been asking. As a church family, we want to go strong into our future, always accessing and, and asking for God's wisdom and God's resources. We really do. There's going to be lots of different seasons ahead of us as a church, but we're never going to be alone. We're never going to be far from God's help if we are willing to ask for his wisdom. He's a generous God. He really is. And no matter how difficult it might seem, no matter what the situation might be in our lives, God is there and he wants us to access his help through asking for his wisdom. Do you know, it's been noted that Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 20, and Aristotle for a further 40 years, and yet Jesus only taught for three short years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by those three men. Their combined teaching combines 130 years together, and yet these men could not even match one line from Jesus' mouth. They were among the greatest philosophers of all time. But Alongside Jesus, all stands in the shadow. They taught human wisdom. They were educators and philosophers. But Jesus was the Word and is the Word made flesh. He is, as Paul describes, the embodiment of God's wisdom to us. Jesus 
painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were greatly influenced by his life. He composed no music. Still, Hayden, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns, symphonies, and oratorios that they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter from Nazareth. His unique contribution to the human race is salvation for all men everywhere. Philosophy could not accomplish that, neither could art, literature, or music. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the wisdom of God, takes away the sin of the world. He laid down his life for the salvation of the world. It's only Jesus that can break the enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace into our needy souls and bring absolute calm. He alone can lift the weak, weary soul with a word of wisdom and make it strong again. He alone can give life to the spiritually dead and seat them with himself in heavenly places. Oh, what a wonderful Savior he is. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle came with their philosophies and their teachings about life, and yet they have long gone. You can't, re you can't call in Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle, but it is Jesus that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always with you. Listen to how Solomon pictures... Wisdom and its intimate involvement in our lives. And from a New Testament perspective, we know that the personification of wisdom, the personification of the wisdom that Solomon talks about in his Proverbs is found in Christ. He is the embodiment of it. Listen to his words in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 7. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Listen, this is a picture. This is a description of a person Going through life lacking nothing. Why? Because wisdom has come into their heart. Wisdom enriches their mind. And wisdom enriches the actions of their life. Wisdom protects them. Wisdom provides for them. Wisdom instructs them and guides them. And this is our portion, child of God. This is our portion, church of God. Christ is God's wisdom unto us as Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing and rich life that we have in Christ Jesus. There is no lack in him. And I know sometimes it feels as if we are in great need. It feels as if we are cornered by life. But oh, the access that we have to God. When we go to him in prayer, when we just simply and humbly 
ask. It seems so simple because it is so simple. I thank God, you know, that he hasn't made it difficult. I thank God that we haven't got to jump through all of these different hopes and all of these high expectations. No, God just simply says, ask. Ask. We looked at it last week. That wonderful invitation that Jesus gives, just like James. He says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Let me ask you, tell me what other religious leader in the world or throughout time has ever been able to issue a promise just like that. I mean, that leaves everybody standing with their mouth open. Ask, Jesus says, and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. They are all certain promises. They are all challenges sent out. Wonderful, positive challenges sent out from a resurrected Lord that loves you unconditionally. Come on, he says. Come on and ask and it'll be given to you. Come on and seek what you need. You'll find it. Knock when that door seems closed, when that opportunity seems gone. Knock and keep knocking and I'll see to it that it's open to you. What an invitation. I tell you now, there's not a man or a woman in time or eternity that could ever substantiate a promise like that and fulfill it to the T and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's the power of God's Spirit in our lives. That's the access that he's given to us into all of this wonderful abundance and that's the bridge, that little bridging word ask that we've got to use to access it shows me that God loves us so dearly. We are really the apple of his eye, the prize that, that, he, um, that he looks after. And he, he cherishes, he really does. And Jesus substantiates this wonderful invitation time and time again to every man, woman and child that will take hold of it by faith and just simply ask. I think it's a wonderful life that we've been given privilege to and access to. It's an abundant life. It's the life that Jesus came to give us. On another occasion, Jesus talking about this wonderful invitation that he offers us in this little word, ask. In John chapter 14, i got to read it to you. Verse 13 and 14, it says this. Jesus, and it's almost like he takes all the limitations away from our mind as to what we can ask for. He says, and whatever you ask for in my name, that. I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What an invitation. Whether your request is small and detailed, whether your request is big and bold and full of impossibilities, it matters not to Jesus. He just simply, blanketly makes this state, in a blanketing way, makes this statement, ask, ask whatever you ask. In my name, it will be given. Jesus openly grants us access and invites us into this wonderful, abundant life. And it's all triggered. It's all pivoted on this little word, ask. Whatever he says, just ask in my name and the Father will receive glory as you receive it. You know, I, I love the relationship that we have with Jesus the, the love that he lavishes on our life. You know, you never get the cold shoulder with him. You never get, you know, uh, 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 an angry retort from his mouth. You never get the silent treatment. He's never emotionally cold to any one of us. He's there for us to help us and, and, and to bring us on through. And to provide for us in every single way, in every eventuality of life. He is there for us. And I really do want you to know that and to be assured 
of that this morning. Church of God, the Word of God directs us through uncertain times. The Word of God directs us and steers, steers us on in uncharted waters. And, you know, amidst all of the voices around us, amidst all of the, you know, all of the doomsday prophets that would come with their report and feed on fear and feed on trouble, we need to navigate our way through with the Word of God. We really do. And we need to let that be our anchor of hope and our, and our expectation for life and a great future. His love, His love is there for us at every point. And His presence is with us so that we can always go forward. Now, as we've introduced this this morning, last week we looked at this little word, ask. And we said that it's that bridging word into God's abundance, into his wisdom. And it gives us an answer. The wisdom of God gives us answer and direction and guidance and even correction for every problem that we will ever face. That's how wonderful and how vast it is. Now this week, we're going to look at the importance of acting on the wisdom that we have asked for. So James tells us to ask for God's wisdom. He tells us that we will receive it in abundance. But then, a little bit later down in this first chapter, he tells us to actually act on that wisdom that we have asked for and we have received. Let's just listen to James as he encourages us in this first chapter, verses 22 to 25. He's encouraging us here not just to be hearers of this word of wisdom that we've asked for, but he's actually encouraging us to become doers of that word. Let's read from verse 22 through to verse 25. James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now from reading that, we understand that God never just wants to fill our heads with information. What honors Jesus what glorifies the Father more than anything is when the word that we hear, the wisdom that we receive, becomes the very essence of our lives, where it becomes the practice of our daily life in how we approach life head-on in the weeks and in the months and in the years that come about us. The first book of the New Testament that records the history of the church is called the book of Acts. It's called the book of Acts because men and women, just like you and I, mixed faith with the word that they heard and acted on it. Without faith in action, this book could have just simply been called the, 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 the book of good intentions or the book of great ambitions or the book of big dreams or the book of imaginations. But it was called the book of Acts because men and women, simple men and women, just like you and I, 
acted on the word that they heard and they brought it into their daily life and they practiced it through the power of the Holy Spirit and the whole gospel exploded over the then known world and the church went forward in the power of the Holy Ghost. That is what happens when we take God's wisdom that we hear and we apply it to our life. We see it powerfully outworked. In fact, at the end of what we read from those verses in James just a moment ago, it actually says that that God blesses the work of the word that we implement into our lives. When, when we actually work out that word in our lives, when we don't just hear it, but we apply it, the blessing of God comes on what we do, on how we live. And that blessing is his power to make us successful. That blessing of God makes us, gives us power not only to be successful, but to be victorious, to be triumphant. How about having the blessing of God? In your trials, the blessing of God coming down in that acute circumstance that seems so stubborn and and awkward and difficult and impossible. How about the blessing of God, the power of God to make you successful, to make you victorious, to make you strong and able? How about having that blessing come down on your life in amidst difficulty? Well, the blessing of God will come down. And the blessing of God will be upon your life. And his power will be directed towards you in amidst the most difficult circumstances when we make a decision not just to hear the word, but to do it. To do it. James says, take action. The word of God says, take action. Jesus says, take action. He said, if you love me, obey my commands. Obey what I'm telling you to do. Implement it. Apply it in your life. Act on my word. Do it. And live it. And then the blessing comes. You know, Jesus doesn't just want our songs of praise. Very often, he wants a life that is just committed to live that word out in all of its fullness in response to all of the various trials and challenges that come our way. He wants us to obey his word. He doesn't just want, you know, talk. Because talk is cheap sometimes. Lord, I love you. Lord, I worship you. We can come out with all of these flowery terms. We can come out with all of these colorful expressions of how we love him and how we want to be loyal and devoted all the way through our lives and all of these great long descriptions of how we will do this and how we will do that. No, Jesus not really interested in all of that candy floss talk. He just simply wants raw obedience and a a commitment to the cause and a commitment to his commands that he's given and an obedience to his word. You know, the application of his wisdom may be in an apology that you need to give to your wife. The application of God's wisdom and the practice of his word Maybe saying sorry to your husband and asking for his forgiveness and his help in the future not to make the mistake again. Vice versa, husbands, wives, wives, husbands. It could be apologizing to your children for saying something or doing something that you shouldn't have done in front of them. You know, there's lots of different ways in which this word needs to play out in our lives. And it's not always easy. And sometimes, you know, it's humbling. Sometimes we we really do struggle to actually live out this word because the challenges that it presents us with to obey it. It's not easy sometimes. But I tell you now, as you know, it's the only way that works. 
It really is. And maybe next week I'll get into some reasons why we don't want to obey God's word. We'll look at that next week. But this week we're looking on taking action. Taking action. Doing God's word. Not just settling to hear it. Not just settling to receive it in its abundance. But when wisdom comes, when God gives direction, when God gives impartation and instruction, then the next step is to act it out and live it through. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, there is no better example to look at than him. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he took action And used every opportunity. His rule of life was not just to hear the words of his father. But to do them. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them. And he was speaking to some very angry people. Because he just done the works of the father by healing a man on the Sabbath, and some religious people were really angry at his work of obedience in line with Father's will. Then Jesus answered them, answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what he does, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus never missed an opportunity to bring the will of heaven into his world. To heal and deliver and save and bring help wherever it was needed. To provide. He always sought to listen to the Father. To see what the Father wanted. To understand what the Father was doing. And then he would use every opportunity to bring the word of God into action. Into a place of life where it could bless, enrich and empower Others, he was a man, not just of many words. He was a man who worked the will of the Father wisely on every occasion. And what an example he is. He is the only example that we want to follow. He didn't just hear the word. He wasn't just a hearer of the word and a great, amazing speaker. No, he was a doer of that word. And that's why the blessing of God came on everything he did. And what a blessing it was. And that's what James is picking up on as he's looking back, as he's writing. He's using the example and the picture of Christ, how he lived life. He wasn't just a hearer, he was a doer. He wasn't just a theorist, he was a practitioner. He brought it right down into daily living, into people's lives. And that's why God, the Father, blessed his work with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he heard the word, he took it and he appropriated it in life action wisely. And that's the the example that we want to follow. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, in Acts 10.38 and verse 39 says this, as he looks back over the ministry of Jesus and remarks about how his life was bathed in power and action. He says this, oh how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are all witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Jesus was anointed by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good. He used that anointing to do good to others. It's not hard to understand. It's very simple. You know, he didn't take that anointing and, you know, shake 
up and down and, and, and run around the place like some cra- kind of crazy person. And I'm not saying that that's wrong all the time, but I'm telling you the primary reason why Jesus was anointed was to do good to others and to set the captive free, to break the power of Satan in people's lives. That's the work that he, that, that he exampled as he ministered to people. On another occasion, the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us of the resolve of Jesus to do God's will as it was written about him in the volume of the book. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 7. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus and Jesus' resolve of heart and spirit. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And oh, how he did it. And ultimately, he fulfilled God's will in the work that he accomplished On the cross, he went into the grave. He broke the power of Satan and death over humankind forevermore. And then God raised him from the dead in power and in strength. And he reigns forevermore. His work was blessed and is blessed forever in a wonderful way by the Father. Why? Because he wasn't simply here to hear the word. And to, and, to, and to spend his time in seclusion away from everybody else. No, he heard the word all right. But then he was out in the crowds, in the highways and byways of life. Dispensing that word and working it out amongst people. So that he could be a great blessing to the communities and the people. And the surrounding towns, villages and cities that he was in. Jesus never settled just to read about great things in the volume of the book. It was written about him in the volume of the book. He, was, he, he understood his identity was in the volume of the book, but he was never just satisfied to read about himself within the scriptures that he held in his hand. No, he was the embodiment of them. The word made flesh, and that meant action. In the Father's will, it really did. In the opening verses, again, emphasizing this point. The opening verses of the book of Acts. Luke reveals the order of Jesus' life and ministry. The emphasis and order that Luke gives to Jesus' life can often be easily overlooked because it's just in one small line, in one small opening statement in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. But here, Luke places great importance and recognizes the order of Jesus' life. Doing came before teaching. Works came before words. Let's look together at at Acts chapter 1, verse 1 for a moment. Luke, addressing his letter to Theophilus, the former account, he says, verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Can you notice the order right there? The emphasis is on firstly doing, then teaching. The emphasis is not on teaching and then doing. No, Luke is very specific here in this opening verse of Acts chapter 1 as to how Jesus conducted his life, as to how Jesus ordered his ministry, and how Jesus executed the will of the Father with wisdom. He says the order of Jesus' life was to do first and then to teach. And he made his report and he wrote his letter to Theophilus. Doing before teaching was the rudiment, the rule 
of Jesus's ministry. And it's amazing when you look through the Gospels, how chronologically the Gospels actually records this and places us before it, before us as we read it. His works, Jesus's works, always preceded his words. Action was always the first priority. And then these very acts and miracles became the open revelation of who he was and what he would teach about himself as a result of what he had done. Let me illustrate this to you. Chronologically through the Gospels, before Jesus taught and said, I am the true vine, in John 15 verse 1, he turned water into wine in John chapter 2 verse 9. That's work before word. Before he taught and said, I am the bread of life, in John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus actually fed 5,000 people in John 6 verse 10. Before he said to his disciples, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives to you, do I give. In John 14 27, he had already rebuked a storm. And said, peace be still in Mark 4 verse 39. And then, finally, before Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 11 verse 25, he'd already raised Jairus' daughter to life in Mark 5 42. And the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7 Verse 59, this was the practice of Jesus' life, works before words. And the works became a very revelation of who he was. The works of his ministry as he, as he executed God's will became the very authority from which he could teach. And the Gospels, even the order of the chapters of the Gospels show us chronologically that this was the case in Jesus' life. And this is what James is directing us towards. Not a faith that just hears. Not a faith that just has a great confession not a, f a faith that just has really, you know, flowery, flamboyant descriptions about who God is and what we know and what we can bring to the table. But no, James encourages us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of this word. In James chapter 2, he continues in this vein. And he tells us and he directs us and instructs us very practically as to how our faith should work by giving us a very simple life illustration that we might come upon in any given single day that we're about our business. In James chapter 2 verse 14 to 15, let's, let's read it and see how James really does knuckle down and show us how faith needs to be evidenced by works and good works. James chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, sometimes you can read that and you can think that, you know, James is chewing our ear off. 
James is really, you know, painting this negative picture and really getting up in our face and really confronting us about our faith. And yeah, he is. And that's good. But you know, James isn't being negative or critical. He's just showing us and directing us and guiding us about what real faith is about. Genuine faith gets involved. Genuine faith has a resolve to work itself out. Genuine faith is tangible. It's practical. It can be seen. It's not some ethereal mist or some ethereal notion that we have that never becomes visible. No, the, J- the, the faith that James is talking about, the faith that, that the, the men and women embodied in the Acts of the Apostles as they built the church, the faith that Jesus exemplified as he ministered continually to people was a living faith, an active faith, a visible faith, a tangible, touchable faith that got involved in people's needs, in people's crises, and in people's difficulties. And you know, as pastor here, as I look over our church family, it encourages me, and I look over the history of this wonderful church, and it's a church, you know, amongst many other Great churches, wonderful churches in South Wales. But when we look at our home, when we look at the the people in our home, I am so thankful, I really am, that we are not just hearers of the word, that we don't just turn up or tune in these days. We don't just tune in to the word and listen to it and just become a hearer. No, do you know what? At the core of of the spirit and the heart of this church, there is a deep resolve to take what's heard, what's received, the wisdom that's given and work it out and perform it and to be that person that really does have a practical, tangible ministry to meet others. I look at our, our children and how they're blessed by, by adults and volunteers and workers that sacrificially give their time to invest into the lives of others. Do you know, if it wasn't for kind action from other adults, not just parents, but other adults that can influence our children, where would our children be? Do you know, we need to give thanks to God for all of those wonderful workers that we have that sacrificially work in our children's church, in our creche, and, and, and also in our, in our youth. We need to give thanks to God that they are laying down their lives to invest their lives and their time and to give God's word and encouragement into the lives of a growing, up-and-coming, present generation that have got questions, that need help and direction. It's wonderful to have people that really do make the word of God flesh and embody it and work it out. You look, you could go through all of the departments in our church. So grateful. We have musicians and, and a sound team and a media team that really do work out this faith. And many times, you know, in, in many unseen situations, they are working behind the scenes practically. Why? To serve a bigger purpose, the bigger purpose, the, the, the bigger vision to reach people who are lost, to reach them, to, to bring them into a renewing life and, and to be that, that place of blessing, to reach, to renew people's lives in in the good news of the gospel. Many of those things are undergirt by the service of people, by the service of God's people, giving sacrificially. And also Jesus cares. Jesus cares. You know, how amazing is that? Over 12 years now, we have been shouldering together as a church. And carrying the weight of this ministry, hundreds of thousands of people 
That is not an understatement. That's a factual statement. Hundreds of thousands of people have been blessed from this family, the King's Church, through Jesus' guests. Listen, that doesn't just happen by hearing the word. That happens by having a resolve to do the work of the ministry, to do God's work. Do you know, um, i got to say this because she blesses me so much. Trisha Canterbury, she heads up um, the, the, the baby provision in Jesus Cares. And um, she's got a team there. And my goodness, she's on the phone in this current crisis. Trish and Barry are in lockdown at the moment. And just being wise, but my goodness, they'd be down here tomorrow if we let them. Trish is on the phone. When can I come back? My team. And you've got, you know, you've got others like Norma and Helen and Pam and, and many, many others. It's, it's too many to mention that, that really shoulder the responsibility and, and put their life into the work of the ministry. Now, Trish, you know, wouldn't jump up here and let everybody know what she's doing. But my goodness, if you look at the work that comes from that lady's hands, a work of faith, it's incredible. It's wonderful. Norma, the same, comes in. And, and both Norma and Trish have, have had health concerns and, and it hasn't been easy sometimes. But you know what? These ladies are strong in faith. Strong in faith. Committed to the cause of Christ. And want to use their life and practice their faith in a, in a, in a loving, practical way. In a work that honors and glorifies Jesus. It's wonderful. We are so blessed to be in a family. To have so many wonderful examples all around us. That not only hear God's word, but actually have made a resolve to do God's, God's word. You know, today you may be at a point of life and wisdom for you may be requiring that you forget your past. You've got to do that. You've got to implement that word in your life. Don't just hear it. And then continually rehearse all of those old events of your past so that you spiral down into, you know, into a depression or into a low moment. No, wisdom, the word of God requires you to work that word out in your life. You might have to bring closure on past issues. Paul said this, in Philippians 3, verse 13, and this may be a word for you today that you've got to work out, that you've got to implement. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. You've got to do this. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't passive about his past. Paul was very active in his present to deal with his past. And he said, this one thing I am going to do, I'm going to forget what's behind me and I'm going to go faith forward into a great future that God has called me to live out in Christ Jesus. That may be a word for you today. God's word may be directing you to do this and to forget your past. You know, it was Corey Ten Boom that said, life has past lessons to learn from, not life sentences to live out in the future. You know what? Your past is not a life sentence for you to live out. It has lessons in for you to learn from. But I'm telling you, we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You're a brand new creature in God. In him, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now, you know, we don't just want to hear that and, and to, to, to have it in our mind. We want to practice that. We want to make it real in our lives. You're not living some lifelong sentence because of what you've done in the past. No, that's dealt with. And appropriate the word of God to it and go forward into 
the great future that God has for you. Well, we come into a, a close today. You know, for others of, our, as others of us today, the scriptures might come to us and bring correction to how we speak over things in our lives. You know, I remember a period in my life where the Holy Spirit really challenged me and pulled, pulled me up on a phrase that I would use often and continually when faced with a challenge. I can't. What an awful phrase. What an awful phrase. I can't do this. I can't do that. No, God doesn't want us to have that in our vocabulary. Now, of course, there are some things that we can't do. You know, we're not going to get silly about, about phrases and terms. But really, at the core of our heart, we can do all things, Paul says. It. Paul says in Philippians. And this may be something that not only you need to hear, but something you really need to implement at grassroots level in your life. A change of a vocabulary, a change of understanding, an impartation of wisdom into that area of your life. Paul, Philippians, in Philippians 4 verse 13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do it. And maybe over your future, you're saying, I can't. Maybe in your present, you're saying, I can't. No, you can. You can. You can do it. Because God's word says you can do it. Now, what we've got to do is we've got to ask for wisdom from God to help us apply that in our lives and then just go for it. And you watch. Just like James says, the power of God's blessing will come on those little steps that you make. And God will empower you and bless you. And you'll find that you can do what you need to do in the midst of all of the difficulties that you face. Well, I'm going to close today by just giving you a testimony about God's power and God's word. And how it worked out in a young man's life. And really, it pictures what can happen. When we believe God's word. This is a testimony that really illustrates the power of God's word. That, that really does change our lives and change our futures. Not only when we hear it, but when we apply it and do it. On March 27th, 1975, a young man was sitting in his mother's beauty parlor. And to him, it was just like another day. Miserable, unproductive, and meaningless. This young man was at the lowest point of his life. He'd slipped into apathy and depression. His young life was falling apart. He had no hope. This young man's future had been set out by his own actions, making the wrong choices. He'd flunked his education and the wrong choices that he had made were now making him. He had no prospects for the future and nothing to aim for. You could say he was immersed in great lack. Just like James pictures when we're in those tremendous trials and testing moments of life. This young man was at a point of great lack. He needed God's wisdom. He needed God's word. He needed God's direction. He needed God to work in his life. He needed guidance to implement as he was going to go forward into his future. Otherwise, there would be no hope. Whilst he was sitting in one of his mum's salon chairs, he looked in the mirror and noticed a lady. She was having her hair dried under one of those big, large hair drying machines. I don't know what they call them. I don't think they use them anymore, but maybe they should bring them back. Who knows? But this lady was under a hair drying machine and her gaze was transfixed 
on this young man. She was staring at him. As he glanced in the mirror, he saw her eyes looking at him and he saw her gaze transfixed on him and it troubled him. He didn't know why. He didn't know the lady. He'd never spoken to her, never met her before. But she couldn't stop looking at him. And then suddenly, she motioned and spoke up and said, quickly, somebody give me a pen. I've got a prophecy for this young man. And she began to write. And then she said to the young lad, boy, you're going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. The young man who had, who had messed up his education, the young man who had made wrong life choices, the young man that was at a dead-end point of life, and in poverty, and in lack, and in great need of wisdom, suddenly gets a word from God, suddenly gets an encounter with the living God through a woman under a hairdryer machine in his mum's beauty parlour. The word of God comes to this young man. Son, you're going to travel all over the world. And your life is going to touch millions of people. You're going to speak to untold multitudes of people. The only condition that she gave to this young man who was a complete dropout was this. Son, you need to put God first. That's what you need to do. What was she saying? Listen, you don't need to just be a hearer of God's word. You need to do God's word. You need to put him first in every aspect of your life. Bring him in into every circumstance. Well, that young man, that day in that beauty parlor was none other than the great actor Denzel Washington whose life has influenced millions of people. And to this day, he openly tells of how he puts God first or tries his best to put God first in every life situation because God, on that day, in his mum's beauty parlor, put him first by giving him his word of wisdom in a place and a time of great lack and great need. God came through. God entered into that young man's life and gave him a future. And the rest is history. It's amazing what God can do when we allow his word of wisdom to come into our moments of lack. And it's even more amazing when we take that word of God and we act it out. I'm telling you, when God's blessing comes down on our actions that have been guided by his word, guided by his wisdom, it's amazing what takes place. Listen, we're going to conclude today by praying. I trust that you've been encouraged by God's word. Listen, why don't you read the book of James again? In fact, why don't you really start going to town with reading the scriptures, versing yourself in the promises of God? Like Paul said to the church at Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Why? Not so that you can become a walking concordance, but because that word can become expressive, expressive through your life and your actions. Who knows what God will do through the work of your hands as it's guided by his wisdom, as it's empowered by his word, his blessing comes on it. Who knows what can take place? Listen, we're going to continue this next week and we're going to look at some of the reasons why sometimes we don't obey this wisdom. Sometimes why we don't follow the instructions that we are given and how we have to correct and align ourselves again to God's word. But I'm going to pray today and we're going to pray that we will not only be hearers of this word, 
but we would find the joy of this word breaking out, breaking open into our lives as we walk through this life towards the great future that God has for us. Father, I thank you today for your people. Lord Jesus, I thank you for their wonderful open heart. I thank you for their diligence and their love to serve you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you in the days and the months to come that we would continue on in the work that you have set out for us as a church family and individually, wherever we are in life, Lord, I pray as your word fills us, as your wisdom comes into our lives in those moments of lack and need, I pray that as we act out the word and as we obey it in all of its instruction and guidance, I pray Holy Spirit, that your blessing, your power to make us successful and fruitful and abundant will come into operation for every child of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I just pray that you continue to have a wonderful week. And listen, keep encouraging one another. Again, why don't you just ring somebody up, encourage them, Pray for them on the phone and let's just keep strong together and stay in God's word. Encourage one another with a scripture. Send somebody a text. You know, do something on social media that's positive, that counteracts maybe some of the negative news. Just bless somebody this week and um, we'll see you next week. God bless you and we're praying for you. God bless. God bless.